Just a quick word of warning before we get going that the following podcast will almost certainly contain spoilers and may also contain strong language and conversations of an adult nature. Welcome to episode 70 of Strong Language and Violent Scenes, the podcast giving a second chance to films that might not deserve them. As ever, I'm Mitch Bain, I'm a lapsed horror writer and an occasional doer of musical things. And I'm Andy Stewart, a genetically enhanced super soldier. <laughs> For her pleasure. <laughs> and joining us tonight, he is the producer, writer and host of Scotland, a Scottish history podcast. You may also know him as the AV man for our live shows. In an extremely incestuous move, we are joined by Michael Park. Michael, hello. Yay, nepotism. Hooray. Hello. Welcome aboard, Michael. Welcome in. Welcome into the fold. Welcome to HQ and welcome into the sound lab. Thank you so much for accepting my begging letter. So, uh, Michael, from your uh, vast library of uh, horror tales and favourites, you have... (laughs) What are you trying to say, Mitch? That I have no credentials to be here? I'm saying that for the first time ever, there's a guest on the show that knows less about horror than me. Well, I was about to say, except for you. (laughs) I was going to say, yeah, if we were going to have a hard line on people's credentials for being here, this show would never go off the ground. With the best will in the world, I am taking my education in horror from this very show Excellent. and never watching any of the movies that you reference. <laughs> I don't know if that's a good thing to take your education in horror from the films that we do. So you're saying is you've got a nodding acquaintance with the plots of some films and have never seen any of them and have just heard some mediocre jokes about them. Um, so weirdly knows about Ice Cream Man. Yeah, yeah, strangely. I uh, This is probably how I would have preferred to have consumed this. You have chosen uh, <laughs> Paul W.S. Anderson's Resident Evil. Yes, I have. Well, explain yourself. Why? Why this one? I like this movie, and I'm ashamed of it, because it is a movie with many flaws, many of which we watched the movie before we came in to record. Yeah, I think that's the the first time we've actually watched the film with the guest prior to recording, is that right? I believe that's true. I have watched it twice today. (laughs) You're Uh, a fucking maniac. Which, I've got some regrets, but... Listen, I love the movie. I think it's really fun. I think it's really entertaining. I have a hard time following it in some places because it jumps about like a mad thing. That definitely makes but, two of us, yeah. Yeah. Um, <laughs> but no, um, it's something that, like, it's probably one of the first zombie movies that I watched when I was maybe like 13 or 14, if it came out in 2002 or something. Uh-huh. And it was one of those ones that my best pal was like one for having the soundtrack to movies before you ever came close to seeing them. So he had the soundtrack to this and it had like, Slipknot and Coal Chamber and like Static X and stuff on it (laughs) so we got really excited about watching the movie and like the buzz off the soundtrack made the movie better somehow yeah because if you were watching this through waiting for all the new metal from the soundtrack to come up you would be disappointed yes Mitch was disappointed you've watched the entire film (laughs) yeah that Slipknot song comes in 98 minutes into a 98 minute film You got to enjoy a bit of Marilyn Manson just hitting a guitar for a while, though, so... Yeah. I really don't think Marilyn Manson's involved in any way in hitting the guitar. That's <laughs> um, true. Isn't he singing? He's just said, just make a racket. I, I think that, um, yeah. Uh, yeah, Marco Batrami and uh, Marilyn Manson had an extremely easy payday doing the score for this. Yeah, I don't know what Marco Batrami's doing on this. Absolutely all. baffling, yeah. At no point did anyone come in and go, you could just turn it down just ever so slightly. Oh, no, definitely not. Definitely not. No. Certainly, not, certainly not at the mixing stage. Yeah, all right, Dad. <laughs> 
Michael, you know what's coming next. It is possible that people will be listening to the show without having played a Resident Evil game or having seen this film. I would keep those very separate. I was going to say, it's, yeah, also it, it gives you nothing of a knowledge base for what's about to happen either. But for the benefit of people who have not watched the film, are you ready to give us your best 30-second synopsis of Resident Evil? I am ready because I've written it and I'm going to get it in before you ban that. And also, it's way more intimidating when you actually see that Andy does have a real timer ready to go. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. This, yeah, it's authentic to the bone. Are you ready? Well, okay. Right, three... Two, one, go. Don't you just hate it when your secret, illegal, underground lab has a viral outbreak? Umbrella Corporation certainly do, and that's why their AI computer system has decided to lock the lab down and kill everyone rather than have it escape. No worries though, because a couple of amnesiacs and a gaggle of PMC stereotypes are about to breach in and let the virus and hordes of the undead loose. Now they have to fight to survive the consequence of their own actions while blaming a computer that sounds like a wee lassie. Yeah, that's fine. Six seconds remain. I'll take it. Pretty good, pretty good. So I believe that uh, the kind of trigger point for all of this is uh, the incident at Raccoon City. <laughs> as, well, well, no. I feel like the incident at Raccoon City comes... I guess as a, of of film, this, right? a consequence of this, isn't it? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Happens here, but certainly this lab that the, the entire film kind of takes place. And the only real connection this film has to the games, apart from some incidental creatures, is the fact that it opens... In a mansion in the Arkley Mountains on the outskirts of the hilariously named Raccoon City. Yeah. Prefaced with a exposition text block, uh, which I always enjoy. Yeah, you do. Yeah, giving you a little bit of background about the behaviour of shady conglomerate Umbrella Corp. Yeah, which is a very on-the-nose name. <laughs> to the untrained eye, uh, they specialise in computer products and healthcare. Right, sure. <laughs> uh, however, uh, where the real money is, the real rub is uh, their sideline operations, which are uh, military technology, genetic experimentation, and vital weaponry. Just like yes. Amazon. <laughs> it's potentially litigious, but... Yeah, I always think that, like, with the narration over the top of it, it's a bit too heavy. Like, I was taught when we were, like, doing business at university, like, doing presentations, your PowerPoint shouldn't say exactly what you're saying. And no. that's what it does. So I feel like they should have picked one, but apart from that... Can't criticise it, it's beautiful. It would have been extremely confusing if he'd been saying something else. That's true, but he could just have pre- like given you a sort of brief pressy of what he wanted to say. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. I'm quite happy to admit that usually in the run-up to an episode I will do some research, gather some facts, some figures, some trivia. Uh-huh. I've not done that this week because I don't care about Resident Evil. Okay, Mike. My- <laughs> I love the video game franchise. Okay. I hate the films. Uh, Michael, I believe that you may have stepped up to the plate in the trivia front. I've done some trivia, yes. Good, good, good. Yeah, um, well, what I found was quite interesting, Michael, seeing as you, you insisted on giving us the trivia as the film progressed. Well, I'm film. sorry, Andy, I didn't know the etiquette. <laughs> um, but uh, yeah, this opening uh, dialogue is coming from Jason Isaacs. Yep, Jason Isaacs, who appears briefly right at the end of the film as a sort of eye peering over a surgical mask. Right, okay, sure. <laughs> I see. And one of many shots of just one eye. I'll have to trust you on that. Resident Evil. <laughs> I have. Uh, I, I'm kind of like. I'm kind of like double whammy underprepared uh, this time because I have played none of the games, so I won't get any references that you make to those. And also, this was my first watch of the film. Okay. <laughs> so uh, much if you just want to leave. Like, yeah, I mean, like, that's uh, cool. uh, we can just play with the knobs. Yeah, I feel like I feel, I feel like you guys have got this. Under wait, control. hang on. <laughs> no, I'm a knobs. Uh, the I meant like now. No, I was going to say I'll take that outside, but I feel like that's making it worse. <laughs> Uh, but yeah, we open uh, on an incredibly laboured shot of a science man doing science things using a robot claw. Not to baffle you with uh, jargon. 
And what was your uh, what was your take on this match? I felt like it took ages. I felt like I was looking at it for a really long time. Right. Okay. And um, I didn't think that anything about it was particularly visually compelling, but I understood that it probably served a purpose. Um, at this point, also a mystery vial of serum is thrown and broken from an unidentified source, and I already hate myself for having to have written the phrase "mystery vial of serum." <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that's fair. I don't think you can take away from the fact that it's like all the other mystery vials of serum have been put into a big metal case with spirit levels on it for some inexplicable reason. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. I do not understand what the spirit levels are for. I mean, when we were watching it, Andy suggested that it might be that it needs to be kept flat. But then throughout the rest of the movie, this case is like... It's getting thrown across. Oh, yeah. It's getting <laughs> it's slammed like, around it's in monsters' there's, mouths. Uh, there's, a, there's an undue <laughs> amount of care and attention given to this case in that moment. For your bro, yeah, it's like it's like uh, the start of Ace Ventura when he's like leather in the cardboard box in the lobby. <laughs> yeah. It's like somebody's made that case and be like, well, better safe than sorry. You never know what you might have to transport. <laughs> but yeah, if you were under any doubt as to what the contents of this uh, this kind of vial is, it's definitely a bioorganic weapon of some sort, which you know from the corkscrew formation. Absolutely, yeah, the like the Chimera and Mission Impossible yeah, yeah, Two and it's stuff. Just like, it's just like I bet it's probably the same prop. Probably, <laughs> yeah. Like... It's like, can we go from green to blue though? I don't know. Well, green <laughs> and blue are in this film. I think it's the same. So they are. It's yeah. the same chemical. Those two films happen in the same universe. Oh. Oh, that's a difficult thought. I love I, I, I do love shared universes, though. Um, yeah, so at this point, uh, these sprinklers come on. Obviously, there's a contaminant has been unleashed. Yeah, sure. Um, but the sprinklers come on masked as a kind of safety drill. Well, no, I think it's more um, the system that controls this, this laboratory uh -huh. complex kicks into containment and decontamination mode. Right. So it starts kind of like spraying freon and ga like hail yeah, and gas. Yeah, and everybody's and going around and going, oh, it's a fire drill. It's a fire They must suck. At Umbrella Corp. Like, if you're sitting in a room where the sprinklers are coming on going, oh, it's just a drill. Don't worry about it. <laughs> yeah, it's like they test, like they test the fire alarms at my work every Thursday morning and that doesn't happen. Yeah, it's like every Friday all their experiments for six months are ruined. <laughs> I mean, I, I imagine that the likelihood of a biocontaminant being released at your workmatch is quite low. Uh, don't push me. <laughs> <laughs> Give it a week. It's better to be prepared. Well, I hope you don't do anything because this episode is damning it. <laughs> <laughs> this is going to get played aloud in the courtroom in a couple yeah. of weeks. I hope nothing conveniently happens. <laughs> um, at this point, a bunch of people get stuck in a lift while other people get gassed to death. Sure, sure. And if you've seen the Slipknot video for My Plague, which uh, played 500 times a day on Kerrang! and Scuzz back in the day, yep. then Scars. you have seen this whole scene. Pretty much in its entirety. Yep, yep. Including the including the what could possibly go wrong sequence where the woman declares that she is skinny enough to climb out through the uh, the gap in the elevator doors. That gap is not big enough for anybody to climb through. No, you're there's correct. No, there is no way that she was looking at that going, yeah, I can do it. She I'll is fit. a misguided idiot. She yeah. deserves everything she gets. Yeah, yeah she's delusional. Uh, yes, and uh, she's presumably decapitated, but we don't know for sure because <sighs> she dies off camera just like everybody else. The actual on-screen carnage in this film is pretty limited. Pretty limited. Some of it, I think some of it's quite subtle. Like, specifically a scene coming up, I think there's quite a nice subtlety to the death off camera. Sometimes it's just really frustrating because you want to see her head bounce on the ground. Well, yeah. I mean, that's kind of the kind of thing I'm being for. Uh, straight into the main crux of the story, though. We've kind of had our kind of prologue, if you like. Um, and it's time to be Alice, played here by Milo Jovovich. Although you're jumping in there with the name Alice, you will not find that name out, I don't think, at all, until the credits roll. No, nope, it's never mentioned until it's in the credits. That's and then they were like, important. oh, maybe a sequel, give her a name. 
we could come on to the sequels but uh, there's definitely sequels um uh so yeah i think that uh one thing i do remember from uh the resident evil games is a very slow pacing around a mansion so i was very much back in comfortable territory watching this unfold <laughs> yeah yeah she uh mila jovovich wakes up naked in the shower mm-hmm. um she then proceeds to like you say prowl around uh, an empty mansion for a while uh she locates some clothes pretty quickly and some drawers containing towels clothes and uh a whole assortment of submachine guns yes and uh miscellaneous weaponry there is a lot of like there's a lot of musical things in that bit where it's like she's walking through the house and then it's like there's like a lovely sunset out the window and then you know like there's a drawer full of white t-shirts and then submachine guns (laughs) it's like yeah that's like fair enough you can have that one (laughs) um also um a note on the table um that just simply says uh today all your dreams come true Back to uh, <laughs> yeah. um, she also does we test to see if it's her handwriting it is not at this point we realize that she has no recollection of the kind of immediate past no she doesn't have, she doesn't recall anything she is completely brain wiped also quite the face of makeup that she wakes up from the shower with yes well to be fair she gets nerve gassed at some point with possibly before she's washed her face. I don't want to piss in your bonfire, Michael, but I would imagine women wash their face first in the shower. I can only speculate about that. I'm unaware of the protocol. Thank you. <laughs> uh, yes, yeah, so uh, she continues pacing forgetfully around the mansion for a bit, um, then is tackled by an unidentified man, and then in a film trope that I always find hilarious, uh, the room is uh, beset by SWAT team people clattering in through windows and abseiling down the sides of buildings and rappelling through windows and stuff like that. I... Genuinely, there is no incident in a film where that hasn't happened where I haven't laughed. <laughs> what is it that you find so inherently funny Re- about? Regardless of what they're responding to, it always looks like a really disproportionate response. Well, because I mean, to the untrained eye, what they're responding to here, certainly on the surface, is a woman walking in a mansion. Yes, that is absolutely true. And they also repel off what later, like, later turns out to be a two-story building. Which does feel like it. You know, they could just have come through the front door. Um, right before the police, uh, the police, the SWAT team, we find out who they are later. But, um, uh, <laughs> what incredibly dismissive. <laughs> um, uh, she's uh, tackled by an unidentified man. Uh, we later find that he is Matt Addison, uh, who is originally kind of uh, subdued by the SWAT team people. Sure, subdued. Ooh, we could match knowing Matt's surname. Um, and uh, yeah, that's what happens when you have the Wikipedia plot synopsis sitting open on your phone for the entire time you're watching something to make sure that you don't get confused, because I did. Um, but yeah, he identifies himself as having just transferred to Raccoon PD, um, sure, yes. which makes me think, see like like the guy who works for Raccoon PD in Raccoon City trying to bring down Umbrella Corporation. If you took all of this and was like, oh, this is a cartoon series about a plucky raccoon detective... You mean like the next stage in the raccoons? Yes, <laughs> I would. I it's would like watch raccoons that. Nights. Yes, I feel like I feel like raccoons <laughs> is on for a like Netflix series. A gr- I would. I loved raccoons. <laughs> is it time for a gritty reboot? Yeah. There you go. Yeah, there you go. Yeah, right Bert there. Raccoon is a a grizzled a private grizzled eye. Private eye and Cyril Sneer is like this kingpin esque <laughs> figure. I like the idea of like um uh, <laughs> raccoon being kind of like uh like a Sipowitz character. <laughs> Just fat as fuck. <laughs> <laughs> I was making loads of jokes about his bitch of an ex-wife. <laughs> uh, they are taken down to the hive at this point, which is, I believe, the subterranean research facility at Umbrella Corp. Question mark. 
Yeah, yeah, you're quite right. You're quite right. But we do get a little before we actually make the the jump to the hive. We do see our SWAT team unmasked, and we get a kind of whip round of the characters just very briefly here. But I mean, we don't really get much about any of them because none of them have personalities. Well, I mean, <laughs> considering the absolutely spot-on gender-ethnic balancing of this group, it is incredible how much they coalesce into one beige, useless blob to me. <laughs> <laughs> just, just, just an amorphous, sprawling, featureless entity. Well, I guess the two main guys then that we really want to focus on are Colin Salmon, yes, who we'll know from the Pierce Brosnan Bond films. Uh-huh. Uh, he is one. Okay. That's his character's name. Okay. Uh, he's the, the head honcho here, and you're, 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 as you rightly pointed out, Michael, doing a almost spot-on Morgan Freeman impression. Yep, he does have a sexy robot voice. <laughs> and Michelle Rodriguez. And Michelle Rodriguez, here reply, reprising her role as Michelle Rodriguez. <laughs> yes, yes. Uh... Michelle Rodriguez does have a character name in this, but I don't think that we should call her anything other than Michelle Rodriguez. I don't know it. It's her character's Rain. name is Rain. Rain. Yeah, because she's a bad bitch. And that is her entire character boiled down uh, into one mood. She is a bad bitch. Yeah, That's I I, every Michelle Rodriguez character yeah. boiled down into one mood. I kind of feel like I kind of feel like you can sum everybody up, all, all of the kind of interchangeables um, right. of this team with kind of like that. You know, like Michelle Rodriguez is like grizzled. Sure, I think sure, with sure. the exception of Kaplan, who we haven't met yet, who is just sort of a like put upon IT professional. <laughs> I will be honest, with the exception of one and Rain. I'm pretty lost. Uh, yeah, I, I I feel like every time that any one of these guys, when they came, when it becomes apparent that they're going to be along for the ride for most of this, uh, I find any time that they are imperiled to be impossibly low stakes. <laughs> like yeah. it's just like like you could nab any one of these at any time, and I genuinely not only would I not care, it's also possible I wouldn't notice. It's quite clear that everyone with a SWAT team uniform is less important than people in normal clothes. Yeah, it's yeah. It's, it's like a redshirt thing. Yeah, that that is fair, and also they do, like it sort of transpires that they're not really a SWAT team. They're a, I can't remember whether it's like a reclamation team or something like that from Umbrella Corp. Or sanitation. Sanitation team. That's it. Yeah. And you're like, so you're really highly trained bin men. I don't. <laughs> Their job is clean up, and that's what they're here to do. Although we don't know any of that yet. All we have here is a series of confusing events, which I would say. It's intended to make us as confused as Mila Jovovich's character. I would like to think so. I think that if you're suggesting that the intention of the opening act of Resident Evil is to uh, generate the same feeling of disorientation and confusion in the viewer as experienced by Alice, I think that you are giving everyone far too much credit. (laughs) (laughs) That's a fucking outrageous suggestion and I won't have it. But it, but I it will not have it. But it achieves it, Mitch. That's the main thing. Uh, yeah, <laughs> but it completely accidentally makes you also feel that you have amnesia. I mean, at this point, we were 15 minutes into it and already asked you to pause it twice to explain to me what was happening. So, I mean, like, yeah, okay, fair enough. In the early running, you seemed incredibly angry. <laughs> yeah, I felt gen- like, wait, wait, I felt genuinely bad that yeah, I brought like, this wait, movie. Stop! What the fuck is happening? Like, what the fuck is going on here? <laughs> yeah, it's true. Uh, yeah, it's actually, yeah, like, I, like, I, I did manage to mask my contempt for it a little more as it went on. Um, oh well, I thanks. Know, I, I could hear you. You were like, <laughs> <laughs> fuck's sake! <laughs> but yeah, all of a sudden, uh, there's mirrors opening to reveal secret staircases and. Yeah. All manner of subterranean laboratories. Which, um, given where the movie then goes from here, seems surprisingly easy to access. Because, is it not just like a door? Is it just like a... <laughs> well, I don't, like, given... I don't want to give anything away for anybody that's not aware of how this transpires, but... 
Please do. Like, like, well, okay. I was looking up the trivia, and supposedly there's a bit where, like, given what happens when they get into the lab and everything that goes wrong, there's a bit where it's explained why it's so easy for them to actually get into the hive. Right. Yeah. And then, for some reason, they just didn't put it in the film or didn't end up making that. But it would have been, like, one line of dialogue to be like, this is why it's so easy to get into the hive. Yeah. Cheers, bye. Aye. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's, that's a reasonable. Yeah. Yeah. Like, yeah. Let's go. <laughs> it does come across as it's, like, an, an incredibly... Yeah, an incredibly simple thing that any idiot or child could stumble across. Yeah, because essentially one of them comes in, takes off a light switch, turns a switch, and then the doors open and they're in a train. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, they do get aboard um, this kind of uh, this internal underground cargo train. Uh, Resident Evil, the games, uh, they're rife with subterranean railways. Right, okay. Honestly, this this immediately comes as no surprise to me. Okay. I also think it's pretty on the nose that if you're going to have a sort of like soviet era looking subterranean train that you would call it the alexi 5000 <laughs> i'm gonna call it the exposition express because because uh, <laughs> every time they're on it we learn important things um at this point it is explained to us that everyone except matt is an employee of umbrella Corps. they're all security operatives sure yeah, yeah. who are all doing a terrible job of uh <laughs> maintaining the security of the hive well don't they at this point find james purifoy lurking in a lock Yep. Yes, unconscious, which is my favourite form of James Purifoy. <laughs> oh, Shade. Um, uh, yeah, he is. Uh, he's another amnesiac. <laughs> sure. Just everywhere, just everywhere you go. It's bonkers that two of our main cast of ten are amnesiacs for a good portion of the film. Yeah, absolutely, absolutely. Um, yeah, we get a wedding flashback here. Uh, is we do find out at this point, or around about this juncture, that uh, Alice and Spence. Are, yeah. Thank you. Yes, are married. Well, yeah. kinda. Yeah, that is that's a ruse that doesn't last for long. Like that, that goes nowhere because maybe two or three minutes after you learn that they're married, we learn that their marriage is a sham, and it's purely to place two operatives in this mansion. Sure, sure, yep. sure, sure. I also wonder, having seen like the mansion in a sort of like cutaway shot mm-hmm. how many questions their neighbours are actually asking given that there doesn't seem to be anyone for miles around so who are they using this sham for is yeah. the idea that only one of them could possibly live in a mansion that ridiculous yeah, I don't yeah. understand it and yeah yeah who within like a 10 mile radius would care uh huh yeah that's <laughs> like I hate to bag on a film that I'm here to like say that I love because I actually really you're do you're going to do a match you're going to wind up hating this film do you know maybe? what like see having watched it with you two like, I'm glad that I watched it first on my own to remind myself why I liked it, because I think I would have come in here and be like, yeah, you're right, it's shit. Are you saying we're a downer? I don't think we're a downer. No, you're not a downer. It's just like, <laughs> maybe you've got a lot of points. <laughs> I don't is... know. Maybe maybe you've got a point. I don't know. <laughs> this is where the tweets start and everyone's like, someone finally said it. They're miserable bastards. <laughs> um, at this point, Michelle Rodriguez appears to let us know that the hive has been breached uh, by unspecified forces. She yeah. appears to let us know that she has no more characterization other than she's Michelle Rodriguez. Yep, and she, yeah, she's here to deliver information rather than character stuff. I love that, though. Like, she's the perfect person for this movie. Like, she's the perfect casting for that sort of angry, badass character. She's the kind that of... That just progressively has a worse and worse time. Yeah, just kind of like, yeah, like, yeah, like having increasingly more of a time and just getting increasingly more grizzled and more a one-liner dispensary as it goes on. I find her actually incredibly difficult to deal with as it progresses. I'm like, oh. You're, you're at death's door just mellow out and enjoy the sweet release of death like, honestly you're so like, to be that uptight at the moment of death 
Is this is this, is the next T-shirt that's gonna go in the tea public? Calm the fuck down and just die. <laughs> it's like slipping into a warm bath. <laughs> we find out at this point that the hive security is overseen by an AI called the Red Queen. This is not the juncture to talk about this because this unravels and shows itself in far more disturbing ways down the line. But I just want to plant the seed that we'll be coming back to it. Yep. Yeah, we also learn as well that the hive is, like we said, the, the, the lab research facility, but it has over 500 staff. Yep, they live and work underground in what seems to be the crystal maze. I'll come back to that joke three or four times, so please keep that up. Um, there's there's a bit in that scene where they're explaining it, where the camera is just like spinning around them. It does it a couple of times, and it actually yeah. made me feel sick. Yep, yeah. mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. that's just Paul. Right there with you on that that's one. That's just Paul Anderson being a wank. Yeah, like, there's no need for that kind of dynamic camera movement. Is that what the like W in his name stands for? I really wish it was the other Paul Anderson that directed this. You know, Paul like, Thomas Anderson. Yeah, from the director of Magnolia. <laughs> it's Resident Evil. <laughs> um, uh, Spence hands Alice his sexy flashback jacket at this point, and she has a sexy flashback. Yeah, um, to them fucking. To them, yeah, to them shagging. So she puts even, the jacket on, and she sees them boning down. So even though this marriage was a sham, you know, they were at it. The other thing in this scene is, like, a light comes on, shall we say, and a, the first floating corpse appears. Sure, yeah. <laughs> which is lovely. But also... It seems to like mark a moment where James Purifoy becomes incredibly horny. Like he be- goes from just sort of looking sort of blog standard to being incredibly sort of like, "Hello, here's my jacket." Here's my jacket. Remember my knob? <laughs> it's like the stench of death makes me excited. <laughs> Wonder if uh, I loaned you a t-shirt once, Mitch. Uh, yes, you did. That's right. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> I didn't have any sex flashbacks. If that's what you're asking. Oh, sure. <laughs> sure. <laughs> Good to see your amnesia still in play. <laughs> <laughs> Jesus fucking Christ. Uh, okay, yes, moving swiftly on, very swiftly. Um, yeah, so the people who got gassed at the start mm-hmm. um, yeah. are basically now submerged in dirty sprinkler water, and yes, that's what we see. That's when we see the kind of the uh, the first kind of floating dead person who is not so dead, or indeed potentially is more undead than dead because they open their eyes and slap their palm against the uh, against the glass. Sure, and uh, yeah, obvious foreshadowing that all hell's about to break loose. Yep. There's also a moment where Matt becomes obsessed with this vent in the ceiling, which does nothing. There's no noise, there's nothing, he just focuses on it for there a good... noise. Like, is there? There's a vague kind of... <laughs> Sorry, what noise was that? <laughs> Interesting. The face I'm making ludicrous, I can see him <laughs> reflecting it's, as a TV. It's wonderful, do you know what, actually, like, um, I might just, like, do this, just, Andy, <clears throat> just, I didn't quite catch that noise. And, uh, yeah, the search for survivors begins in earnest here in dining room B, which uh, certainly does not appear to be a dining room, given that it is filled with large tanks containing numerous throbbing bioorganic weapons. Uh, I mean, yes, like, uh, dining room in the very loosest sense of the word. (laughs) Sorry, I'm gone at throbbing bioorganic weapons. That's what they do. Frequently you see them throbbing and pulsating away. I mean, I mean, I mean, you're right. Yeah, you're not wrong. You're not wrong. Um, at this point, multiple red shirts are very abruptly slaughtered in a like an incredibly low stakes laser onslaught. Oh come on, back off the laser onslaught. The laser, the laser onslaught's really good. It just didn't care about anyone that died. 
it's very visually satisfying just from a narrative perspective it was like an absolute house plan i can't believe you didn't care about colin salmon and those two people that had two lines each <laughs> colin salmon gets the best death though uh so yeah when they're kind I of approaching be- yeah i think he gets the best death in the whole film yeah so they um so basically uh colin salmon and a couple of red shirts get eviscerated by lasers and um yeah colin salmon gets the best one because he gets cubed up he gets diced <laughs> by a laser grid which i enjoyed very much I think well, that yeah, it's, it is the best set in the film. I'm not. Also, it, it actually happens on screen as well. Yeah, and nice. also uh, you can see it all in the, the very same Slipknot video. Yeah, <laughs> it almost makes you wonder why anybody paid to go and see the movie. I was going to say, like, I mean, like, yeah, the the, the new abuse mix of um, uh, My Plague by Slipknot, which is the one that was on the soundtrack, that's two minutes and forty nine seconds long. You could have, you could just watch that. Yeah, and really, realistically, you could because all the key moments are in there. Yeah, it's like it's it's an absolute cliff notes for the film. I mean, like, they're shown out of sequence, which makes it kind of slightly challenging, kind of like a little bit of a puzzle game, but it's all there. The pieces yeah, but are given there. how much the film confused you, maybe it made more sense in the video. <laughs> I think he cared less, but he enjoyed <laughs> the music more. <laughs> it's distinctly possible. <laughs> the important thing to remember is that in both iterations of this, I didn't give a fuck. <laughs> I've forgotten how quickly they get to the Red Queen as well, like how quickly that scene takes place, because we're only maybe, what, half an hour in? Less. Oh, F that. Yeah. yeah. F that. Um, but yeah, we do get the kind of uh, the hologram embodiment of the security AI, the Red Queen. Yeah, yeah. They keep running up and down that laser corridor as well, and I, I, I'm really sad that you know, you see some of the other guys that are dead. The woman who got her head chopped off, the guy with the fingers, but you never see a gross big pile of man cubes. That's true. That's true. That would have been good. I tell you, I, I actually like you know, like I am um, in the fullness of time. We're going to come to realize I don't have a great amount of positive things to say about this. So I do actually just want to stop and give like kind of fair airspace to the fact that not just the cubing, but the entire the kind of the bit where everyone gets lasered to death is actually really good. Yeah, I like the bit. Like I like the <laughs> I like the death before that as well. There's like so the first laser. There's three sets of lasers. The first one chops the doctor's head off because I know she was the medical person because she's the one that shines a light and James purifies eyes and wakes him up. So yes. she's, she basically deserves to die for that. No, but, she, she, but I tell you, know she's got credentials. Yeah, and sure. then you've got um, and then you've got what's that guy who tries to jump over the laser that's coming at foot height, and, it raises and then it raises to cut him through, sure. which I think is quite good. Yeah, that is good. And then you've got. And then you've got one who's... Also, Colin Salmon seems to leap to the roof in a Spider-Man fashion. He does. And cling to a glass ceiling, which is very impressive. I think when you're Colin Salmon, you can do whatever you want. Apart from dodge a cubing laser matrix. Cuban. Cuban lasers? Cubing. Oh, right, okay. Sorry. C-U-B-I-N-G. I'm not commenting on the ethnicity of the lasers. Oh, right, okay. Straight thought... from Havana to <laughs> yeah. say. I thought you meant, like, the people's lasers. <laughs> Let's talk about the Red Queen at this point. So like sure, I say, yeah. we do um, uh, we do get our first look, as it were. We've heard it. We've got our first look at the Red Queen here. Uh, it takes on the form of a small British child. <laughs> You're absolutely yes, right. Yes, that yeah. is. It's uh, taken on the form of the creator of this facility. Mm-hmm. Well, no, sorry. It's taken on the form of the daughter <laughs> of the creator of the facility. It's going to say to the creator of the facility, a very industrious seven-year-old. <laughs> Uh, no, yes, it is the, it is the creator's door. That, that is right. That yeah, is right. I, Someone I mean, had just told this precocious kid to sit down. <laughs> they must have, they, they could have easily, vitally just connected it again to the Resident Evil franchise there by saying it was like Sherry Birkin, whose dad, William Birkin, kind of created the T virus. 
they could have yep. easily connected it to that and it would just have been another little thing that they could have put in there when really the things that connect it to the franchise are minimal it's just, they could have is it, it not they could have supposed been... to be that but it's never mentioned so you're just sort of putting it. two and two together mention it it's called resident <laughs> evil <laughs> yeah. it could have taken could have taken on the form of a very slowly opening door <laughs> given given that one of the callbacks they do to the actual game is later in the movie they come back to that corridor where everybody got lasered and all the bodies have gone and then there's a little line of dialogue that i can't remember for the life of me that basically like links it into the games and how I you would go out of a room chris's blood <laughs> they could actually have gone hey that looks like sherry birkin in the way that they deliver dialogue in both the films and the games yeah <laughs> well they actually do deliver dialogue in a shockingly bad way because there's a line um coming up fairly soon actually mm. um where we get a first kind of look at our uh our zombie menace yeah yeah yeah, yeah. and it, it's like zombies don't exist in any entertainment in this universe oh god no 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 one has any idea what they're looking at when they turn up no yeah. I, I, they, to my eye to, to, and perhaps this is me as a jaded horror fan but to my eye i take one look at that woman and i think that's a zombie agreed i think it's worth taking a moment as well just to think about the fact that they never for a second question that the motives of the Red Queen aren't evil. So the Red Queen essentially stands in front of them as a wee girl and explains that it did this to stop this outbreak getting out. Mm -hmm. And then at no point do they go, huh, maybe you've got a point there. Yeah. Fair enough. They just go, no, you must be evil because you are a computer. Even though it's essentially their boss. Yeah, and even later on in the film, don't want to jump too far ahead, but one of the characters gets extremely heavily bitten by zombies over the runtime of the film. Yeah, yeah. Um, to the point where the Red Queen's saying, look, you can leave, but you will kill the zombie woman Yeah. before she turns into a zombie, yeah. and then I'll let you leave. Red Queen precocious and also risk-averse. Yeah, and, uh, yeah, and, and fair. Yep, absolutely. Crucially, absolutely. Yep. No, I, 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 yeah, that's a really good point, actually. It's like, yeah, she, like they treat her like a villain uh, pretty much the entire time when she spends most of the time that we interact with her in the film making helpful suggestions. Yeah, there's no explanation for it. When you think about the fact that they've been sent in by Umbrella to shut down the Red Queen, which has gone berserk in inverted commas, killed the entire staff of this facility, and then they get there and they're like, huh, all these people are dead. Maybe something's happened. And then it goes, well, actually, this happened. And they go, no, we're going to nuke you. Ah. <laughs> well, it's, it's by their own actions that the, the, the kind of zombie hold is released mm-hmm. because they use this kind of EMP device to essentially disable the, the Red Queen. And it, by disabling her, all the doors open. Yeah. And release the stumbling mass into into the world. Yeah, speaking of which, we do get our first look at zombies here, as you say. Uh, we have uh, Michelle Rodriguez getting bitten for the first of conservatively 43 times that happens in the film. <laughs> and uh, yeah, and she eventually blows it to bits. They take a minute here to discuss the medical properties of blood before and after you die. And at this point, I realized how much of the dialogue in this film is totally without consequence. Like, um, apart from it in scenes where they are gathered and things have slowed down mm-hmm. and they're like, right, what we need to do for the story to move forward is X, Y, and Z. Literally everything else that they say to each other is things like, we have no choice but to keep going. Yeah. And things yes. like that. Yeah. You know, that just, is, that's like the game. Yeah. I yeah. Suppose. It's that level I quite of, liked it for that. It's that level of bad dialogue. I, 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 like, I'm, I'm, I'm not, I'm, I'm not going to praise it for that. I mean, there's there's also an element of the fact that he, like, it's Matt at this point crouches down and talks about coagulated blood and blood only coagulates when you're dead, which isn't true. And then <laughs> at no point does anybody go, by the way, 
maybe they're like zombies or maybe they're the undead because they're just like oh that's interesting matt we better push on though yeah exactly yeah yeah but this this kind of ties back in with the theory that this is in an alternate timeline where zombies don't exist in any form because i don't think at any point in the film correct me if i'm wrong i don't believe they're called zombies most zombie films don't ah, that's fair yeah that's the, true most zombie films flat out refuse to go down that road and use the z word i i i i, I still think that the way that they are talked about and addressed here is kind of like with a ignorance that feels weird yeah also do you know what else feels weird go on shot and tie zombies business zombies they don't immediately feel exciting they don't feel like <laughs> no, no they don't no they're no. not like they're not filling me with an all-action sense when well, I'm watching the, the movie. It's sort of like, oh, here's a load of grey-shirted people attacking a load of black-shirted people. <clears throat> also, <laughs> it's kind of similar to the video game in so much as you've got kind of six zombie archetypes kind of things. You've got yeah. like six costumes because that was all they were able to kind of design and program. So it's kind of similar in that regard. And if that is the case, if that's what they did, then I kind of have to applaud that. But you've basically got Doctor Zombie, yep, Business Zombie, and that's it. Um, and their faces range from looking pretty good to being an absolute CGI mess. Yeah, agreed. Yeah, I remember yeah. when I first saw the movie and the CGI, like the ones that we sort of laughed at when we watched the movie and the ones that when I was watching it this afternoon, I was like, oh, that's going to get ripped to shreds. I remember them being quite scary at the time. Or being Aye. quite, like not scary necessarily, because I don't think for all it's an enjoyable romp that... <laughs> It's a particularly scary film. Like <laughs> it's, it's like, it's like it, Carry On Resident Evil. Well, <laughs> well, yes, I would have said so. But no, like I was never scared by it, but I remember thinking, ooh, that's a thing. I think also, I think that when you're coming on and you're picking something that you watched when you were kind of that age, I also don't think that you have to apologise for the things that freaked you out when you were younger or like spooked you when you were younger that don't anymore. No. Like, and, and, I think that that's, and I think that that's also a perfectly legitimate reason for picking something. Because like, cause even if you can look well, back good. at something and it's, yeah, and it doesn't scare you now, I quite like the feeling of looking at it and being like, that scared the fucking shit out of me. When, when I was younger. a wee guy, you know, I was terrified of masks and I was having a birthday on Halloween. You can understand how that could be quite awkward. Now, that was triggered by my Uncle Alec jumping out at me in my youth wearing a Mr. T mask. When I look back now, like, as a horror fan and thinking about being scared of masks and scared to be around masks, it's weird. Yeah. And it's, it's... It's curious. Aye, I think I, I think that kind of stuff is interesting. I love the fact that you're born in Halloween, though. That just like is the sort of icing on the cake there, Andy Stewart. Thanks very much. That's all right. <laughs> uh, but yeah, there's a whole pile of madness going on here in this battle. There's a ludicrous amount of ammunition expended. Yes, and this this is where I think that like I find the film's absolute resolute refusal to have people properly die on camera the most infuriating. Refusal. <laughs> <laughs> this film's resolute refusal I'm doubling down <laughs> to uh to have anyone die on camera yeah is at its most annoying here I think it also speaks to the poorness of the training that these people have received because they do not learn that their bullets are largely ineffectual yeah yeah, yeah there's the moment just before this massive sort of slew of zombies where he like JD his name is. Sure. I'm going to say that I, I know most of their names. Uh-huh. JD, the sort of one that gets the occasional line and is apparently a love interest for Michelle Rodriguez because they're both gruff and annoying, is like he shoots... I think you're connecting dots down there. Well, yeah, possibly. He shoots a zombie in the leg or in the kneecap and then in response to the fact that they don't do anything when he shoots them in the kneecap, they just keep coming, he shoots them in the other kneecap 
and that's when Michelle Rodriguez comes in with her submachine gun and blows them across the room uh-huh. in a physics defying well, moment. Very, that's incredibly but funny though. It <laughs> is. It is very funny. But I think it's played that way though. But it's also that kind of like I don't know. It's that kind of like disregard for properly using ammunition. Yeah. That you think, why would you just do that and then shoot them in the other leg and hope for the best when you could just go, oh, I'll just shoot you in the head. Aye. Yeah, yeah. Uh, Matt and Alice are separated at this point and we get um, another flashback. Um, as ever, the flashback, all the flashbacks in this film look like they've been edited on Vine. Um, <laughs> and uh, this one is no exception. But we do find out at this point that Alice was, although she was technically in the employ of uh, the Umbrella Corporation, sure. she's also part of a, a nefarious scheme to bring them down from the inside. I, I don't think it's nefarious in the slightest. No, it depends it, on whose side you're on, Andy. <laughs> well, it would be Mitch Bain on the side of the mega conglomerate. <laughs> I just want everyone to be crushed under the steel of this mighty capitalist locomotive. Yeah, you from up there in the, the land of big oil. <laughs> but yeah, um, Alice is, uh, she's an insider, a double agent, whatever you want to call it. Yeah, she has information and she's willing to sell it to the people who can use it for, I guess, more pure reasons. Yeah, yeah but sure. there's also a sort of moral ambiguity in the fact that she wants to sell the information to them. I completely agree. That just occurred to me right now. It's corporate espionage. <laughs> Thanks, Andy. Yes, yeah. it is. <laughs> I mean, like, yeah, I mean, like, it is corporate espionage, but yeah, I do think that your your motives do feel, like, about 90% less altruistic. Oh, you're yeah, like, who's not... buying? It's, yeah, it's not quite as wholesome. I've, got, you... I've got discs of info if you've got the coin. Yeah. Just, like, shuffling up to people in the street like a looky-looky man and opening a massive jacket full of CD-ROMs. Yeah. <laughs> this was at the time when things were on, when, like, and any information was on mini-discs. Yes, absolutely. Remember they would have mini-discs. Yes. Because they'd moved on from CDs, but they weren't quite at thumb drives. Yeah, 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 sure. Nothing dates a film like a mini disc, I don't think. No, yeah. no, no. Tragic loss of technology, though. Mini disc was great. I love mini disc. <laughs> um, new creature at this point, Licker. I have a question. What do they do? They lick <laughs> and they clamber. Although, weirdly, not as often as you would think. No. <laughs> So they're pretty sparing. Really. They have extremely long tongues. They have what appears to be external brains and they walk on all fours. Now, there was some speculation that lickers may in fact be mutated rabbits. Yes, I do a, not subscribe to that There's a flashback theory. later in the film where a rabbit is being vivisectioned, which is obviously horrible. And this rabbit then, I think, and Andy's wife Jackie suggested it, then goes on to become the licker. I think it works, I can't and it's possibly the only reasonable callback in the movie. I'm, 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 uh, I, I, I don't know. I'm, I'm, I'm happy with it as a theory, but I really don't know. I don't think anybody's going to challenge us on the theory. Uh, no, no, that's true. But certainly... actually, do you know what? I've come on this podcast. I should know better than saying that. Dr. Lauren McIntyre will tell you. But uh, yeah, to me, the liquor was just one of those throbbing bioorganic weapons. Right. Okay. Um, sure. But, sure. Uh, and it's it's unshackled, untethered. <laughs> And it's uh, it's hungry for hungry for blood. An untethered TBW, BOW as they're called in the games. Yeah, well there you go. Also at this point, Kaplan, one of the red shirts, uses all of his cunning to deduce that the lab coat and ID badge wearing zombies are former employees. <laughs> yep, I don't it's know hard, how he put that one together. To know how he came up with that? Yeah. <laughs> who could these people? Who could these five hundred people be at this top security lockdown lab yeah. under the ground with five hundred staff? <laughs> It seems weird that these 500 zombies could coexist with those 500 staff. <laughs> and if that is the case, where are the staff? <laughs> yeah, so he, he does he does subscribe to the notion that the simplest explanation is most often the correct one and figures that out for himself. 
Occam's um, razor. I love the fact it's totally treated like a reveal, though, isn't it? Occam's razor. Remember earlier today in the recording when I said, what was it, Schrodinger's? <laughs> oh, yeah. Schrodinger's rabbit. No, Schrodinger's, Schrodinger's pipe. Schrodinger's pipe. <laughs> well, clearly... You meant Chekhov's Chekhov's pipes. Oh, man. Mila Jovovich's jacket here uh, has now grown to fit her snugly and uh, fit her form quite well. Well, it is a mystical sex jacket, so it does have those properties. (laughs) Yeah, if a a jacket can bring on sexy flashbacks, then I'm I'm convinced it can also eventually shrink or adapt itself to fit the form of the wearer. I've just written a script in my head for Rob Schneider. (laughs) Rob Schneider in mystical sex coat. This is just the voice of the coat. Like, that's a retelling of Joseph and the Technicolor Dreamcoat that I go and see. Joseph and the Mystical Sex Coat? Yes. Yeah. Right, I need to mentally just stop myself from going down a road with that. I'm just putting a pin, with a pin, I'm just putting a pin in it, I'll revisit it on my own time. This is, the point where, <laughs> this is usually the point where you would say, moving swiftly on. Moving swiftly on. Alice wanders <laughs> off by herself, uh, which leads to her getting attacked by a dog wrapped in bacon. Um, <laughs> oh, come on! <laughs> They're brilliant. And then, a do- those actually, bacon dogs are great. It actually is a dog wrapped in bacon. Yeah, I mean, it's, it's. I mean, I didn't know this until one of the two of you introduced it as trivia corner when we were watching it. I made a joke about the fact that the dogs look like dogs wrapped in bacon, and they basically, uh, for for all intents and purposes, they are. Yeah, they yeah, are. Sure. They, yeah. they like. I really, I really, really like the dogs in this. I don't like the fact that they get shot because at the end of the day, they're dogs. And it's I okay. Like dogs, but the, f- the film doesn't make you look at it. That's yeah. That's a very fair point. Um, oh well, there's one where you see its head explode. Oh, that's true. Yeah, but, yeah. You know, just when we're talking about the one on-camera kill in the film. Yeah. Um. But yeah, they're like, do, are they Dobermans? Is the that Dobermans, what yeah. Doberman. Uh, Doberman. <laughs> Sorry, they're Doberman. And yeah, they wrapped them in like sort of like meat and gore and stuff. Yeah. But before the takes, they had to keep reapplying it because obviously the dogs would be delighted by this and just eating it off themselves. Yeah. But I really like the way they did the dogs because they look great and also they've done their teeth. So there's a bit where Mila Jovovich is walking through the sort of vivisection lab where they've been locked up. Sure. And they've clearly like chewed through their cages. Uh-huh. So mm-hmm. the makeup on the dogs is all like their teeth like all shredded from where they've chewed through it. So, Which, like, I think it looks great. No, that is pretty cool. I'll I give you I'll give the point some that. digital manipulation around the mouth area. Oh, well, okay. But I would say I like the fact that <laughs> the cool. dogs are dogs. They're, yeah. they're used actual dogs. dogs in the kind of in the scene where she's kind of set upon by initially one dog and then many dogs um so yeah she uh she gets attacked by one uh roundhouse kicks a zombie into a medicine cabinet shoots many dogs and roundhouse kicks another one in the head what i will say is there is no point in this film when mila jovovich enters a room and takes a moment to look around no, that's true. That's that true. Every room she enters, true. she yeah. is immediately attacked. I would actually posit the theory that not only does she not go into a room and scope it out, she goes in and actively avoids the threat until the very last moment. Yeah. <laughs> like she goes it's, in and tries to look at as little as possible. It's surprising given that every time they're in a corridor, she takes great care when she goes around a corner. Oh, no, the she, minute she goes yeah. in a room, she's just like, nah, couldn't, yep. be, couldn't be anything this bad in here. This film is absolutely filled with people leaping from behind corners with their guns out. Yeah. It's, Preposterous. Yeah, there's a, there's quite a lot of gun creeping and gun lunging. Gun lunging. Gun lunging. Standard gun lunge. 
Matt also wanders off by himself at this point, uh, which results in him getting uh, jump scared originally by uh, business zombie number four. Yep. Um, um, that's why he's like going through bins looking for half a Snickers. Yes, precisely then. Yes, uh, he's foraging for something. Uh, and at this point also, he gets attacked by a zombie that we eventually discover is his sister. Correct. Yes. Yep. Lisa. He's getting ridden by his dead sister at one point on a desk, which is a strange experience. Well, yep. I don't think that's quite accurate she's sitting up straight on certainly uh, Michael, Listen, Michael. Andy, you watch this movie your way i'll watch it Michael. <laughs> <laughs> it's real that i'm the one who's blushing yeah exactly <laughs> yeah it's a first yeah we find out at this point because obviously uh yeah she attacks him uh, or attempts to seduce him, depending on your outlook, you weirdo. Um, and then uh, Alice kind of uh, dispatches the zombie, and we find out again from a viney flashback that uh, she was kind of, uh, Lisa was kind of the other half of Alice's inside she, job. She, she, yeah. yeah. yeah, yeah. Um, at this point, uh, Matt kind of got wind of it. Just, hang on a sec. We find this out in flashback here as well, don't we? Well, no, we find out a little bit more about Matt. He's an activist. Busybody, I was going to say. <laughs> I would, I would get his nose in umbrella's business where it don't belong. And uh, now, why have you two become corporate shills for a non-existent corporation at this point? I just think that, <laughs> based on the evidence as presented, we don't really see Umbrella doing that many things that are that evil. Oh, interesting. Like, I mean, I don't like animal testing. I disapprove of that. Yeah, there's there's vivisection. They've come up with a virus that can murder people in great numbers and turn them into zombies. But yeah, but they've got an antidote as well. That's true, and it was originally done as like a cure, wasn't it? So I I just find it difficult to root against Umbrella particularly badly, apart from the fact that I disapprove of the ethics of their testing methods. <laughs> Um, but yeah, Matt is an activist, uh, as was his dead sister. Um, they've been trying to like kind of get hold of. They've they're kind of like uh, insurgents. They're trying to get hold of uh, some evidence of this apparently terrible testing that's going on inside the uh, hallowed halls of Umbrella. Yeah. Also, it's <laughs> worth mentioning here, and I think it's important not to blow by it. But when Alice sees the undead dogs, it unlocks her incredible martial arts abilities. That is true. I was I was worried that we were going to get past that without doing anything because she does at this point jump up a wall and roundhouse kick a dog in the face which is possibly the finest moment in cinema i uh yeah it's kind of like when it's kind of like when she gets the jacket and gets the sex flashback and she remembers that it's just like it's the bit of her memory that gets woken up she's like oh yeah i can do uh, parkour and also karate yeah it's like i can do parks i can do parkour and kung fu but only in the context of kicking a dog which proves that she's an umbrella employee Um, at this point, we get another. We get kind of Michelle Rodriguez is back. She slurs exposition. Um, well, uh, Alice switches uh, the creepy child security back on. Sure. Yeah. Um, and uh, at this point, again, it's kind of like I, I like I think that this film. The more we talk about it, and the more I think about the structure of it, it seems like it's like set pieces that are broken up with all of the surviving characters being huddled in a room and being given exposition then going on to the next bit which is very much the structure of a computer game it is yeah and unlocking uh, abilities as you progress yeah i think that like actually i hadn't really stepped outside it and looked at it but basically it's like yeah there's like carnage information carnage information occasionally you level up Yeah. yeah there is also that sort of element of they do seem to be able to walk around and i'm not sure whether it's just that my attention dropped at both of these points in the movie every time i watched it mm-hmm they do seem to be able to just move around the facility fairly unmolested unless there's something big about to come up, which reminds me of, like, not necessarily Resident Evil, but in video games, you know, when you can walk around a room and you're like, later on, this will be a boss fight. 
Yeah, aye. when you walk in, anytime yeah. you walk into a room that seems ridiculously oversized, uh-huh. you're like, with not hmm, much in it. This vaulted church seems about out of place. <laughs> yeah, that's true. Actually, yeah, there's quite a lot of kind of there's there's quite a lot of kind of uh, video game narrative tropes and stuff in it and structure tropes in it. I think. Oh, yeah, I would agree. And, and actually, I'm such a fan of the games that I feel I was really negative on this film the first few times I've seen it. I've seen it <laughs> the, the first every time you watched it. Um, but the more I think about it now, the, I guess actually speaking to people about it instead of chuntering about it under my breath, yeah, <laughs> um, maybe opens up... I mean, I don't like it anymore mm-hmm. because it's, as far as I can see, it's certainly not the Resident Evil film I would have made. Mm-hmm. Um, it's certainly not the Resident Evil film I know that other people had planned to make. George mm-hmm. Romero being one of them. But yeah, it just... It certainly shows it's video game leanings a little bit more yeah and yeah I, I don't i don't know whether i I don't know if i'm framing that as a positive thing or a negative thing maybe just an observation i think if you're going to do a video game it's important to to lean on it a little bit yeah like i mean there's a moment i, I don't know if anyone's ever seen doom yeah i've seen doom but when you're watching doom you watch doom and you watch the rock running around and then you're like mm, it doesn't really feel much like doom and then there comes a point where it becomes a first person shooter yeah and you're like ah now it's doomed. Um, <laughs> the exposition that we get at this point is from uh, the Red Queen. Yeah, and it's basically the rules of zombies. Like, I mean, this this feels quite yes. a lot like um, Alexa. What are zombies? <laughs> like, um, yep, that's true. Where we get the kind of background of what they are, how they got to be what they are, and the exact mechanics of what you have to do to kill them. Alexa, this is zombies is an incredibly astute way to put this. Yeah, I, I, <laughs> it is also Thanks. worth mentioning at this point that they don't take any of this exposition on board. It's almost like his exposition being delivered to them rather than for because them. Because they don't respect the voice of a child. That's true. Or they don't respect the voice of a benevolent computer. Yeah, the, the Red Queen does good work. And I think, is, like, genuinely, this is the absolute meat and potatoes of how to kill the threat. See, to be fair, I think if you were to watch this movie and take it as like being a film about a, like a computer trying to do the good and logical thing. Uh-huh. well sort of idiotic people run around ruining everything then it kind of goes from maybe like a 4 out of 10 to an 8 out of 10 like it would maybe like replace Ex Machina in my top 10 movies <laughs> <laughs> would also probably be like it would probably be like the best Black Mirror episode of the last 3 years yes Alice at this point well so Spence gets bitten here at this point we're kind of we're kind of going full tilt into the kind of chaos of the third act yeah. Uh, Spence gets bitten here inevitably Michelle Rodriguez gets bitten again Kaplan that gets bitten here oh is it Kaplan yeah because this is the bit where I was going to bring back my uh, crystal maze analogy where they start climbing up on the pipes and it becomes like that bit between the medieval zone and the oceanic zone Would wow, you stop you, the fans please you were really paying attention when you watched crystal maze weren't you I love the crystal I maze love it. I also love the crystal maze yeah this kind of uh, this kind of tilts the film into a protracted sequence of escape array that really tries my patience. (laughs) So sorry, yes, I'll correct myself. Kaplan gets bitten here. Yes. I feel really bad for Kaplan. Kaplan, I think, is my favourite character. If I could tell him apart from any of the others, I might agree with you. He's he's the one that is hacking the Red Queen at the the laser chamber cutty-uppy sequence. Uh, Is he the one who's Hispanic but not? Yes. (laughs) No, wait, hang on. No, that's JD. Is it? Right. Okay. I don't know because it's very hard to tell. Yeah. Um, that's the that's problem. That's Kaplan, the problem that Kaplan's the one that, when they all get cut up, he insists that they go and mount this EMP on the Red Queen with that sort of like put upon, we have to complete the mission. 
Oh yeah, I know the guy. So he gets bitten, and I feel really bad for him because he's obviously just come along to be like the sort of you know the tin dog, and has ended up as this sort of collateral damage. Yeah, I feel bad for him. He was just going to work. The other ones feel like they live for that. He just feels like he was sitting, you know, like trying to set up an email account for someone and they were like we've got to go down the hive you coming and he was like I- i'm just about to go on my lunch and they're like just come <laughs> you can get it back in lieu yeah. <laughs> do i need a gun yeah probably you'd, you'd rather have it and not need it's it. like here's a, here's <laughs> here's a, a probably name re- but just take one eh? yeah and michelle rodriguez is like here's a weird revolver that i brought from home <laughs> <laughs> i don't mean michelle rodriguez's character I mean, that's what Michelle Rodriguez brought from home. Michelle Rodriguez's character, my favourite thing that they do in this to show you how grizzled she is is that she literally um, uh, picks the dirt out from under her fingernails with a knife at one point. Yes. (laughs) It was funny because Jackie actually said, uh, all we need from her is for her to pick her teeth with a knife. And then we were like, actually, there was a moment earlier that you missed when she was picking dirt out of nails. Slow-mo begins here. Oh god! And does not fucking stop for the whole franchise. By the way, <laughs> I would say that there is conservatively twenty minutes of slow motion in every film from this point on. I hate slow motion in ninety percent of cases, and I hate in every case in this film actually. But um, it seems to lower the stakes as well when it comes out. I, I think that it it makes things feel sillier so much of the time. Uh, what it does crucially in this film is a few times you see some very very pained looking expressions on stuntman's faces that's stuntmen, true sorry <laughs> uh, yeah on stuntmen faces because they you see too much of them like yep. she's judo throwing them over her shoulders and you can see that the wind getting knocked out of them the Aye, the, the, there's one in particular I a bastard thing you can see when somebody <laughs> hits the deck um, in some of the slow motion stuff um, but yeah uh, to go back on a story kick uh, Alice at this point uh, learns in a flashback something she definitely wasn't around to see when it happened so gets a flashback from multiple angles of things that she was not privy to uh, yeah she basically learns of the existence of an antidote uh, at this point I mean, I, I mean I'm, I'm writing things down but you know I believe that Alice and Spence both have had access to the lab at different times. Okay. Like, I don't think they're sort of security operatives who live in the mansion all the time. Because they've clearly been there and they've seen things because there's a couple of minutes or a couple of moments in this script earlier where somebody says, like, you know, you've been here or something like that. Or, like, I don't know what it was like down here or something like that. So it's almost set up that they've been there before. But... Again, like this flashback that Alice has at this point is of her standing in a sort of uh, crossroad corridor mm-hmm. where it's sort of like spinning. Like, have you ever seen the uh, video for I think it's Babylon by David Gray where the camera just spins around them and there's people moving really fast? It's kind of like that. I mean, um, I, I, I this know. This is that, a weird reference, but it's a you film mean, from 2002, inc- so we're going to have to go with it. It's an incredible um, deep cut reference, but I do know what you mean. Okay, cool. So there's absolutely no way that she could have been in the lab at this corner and the lab at that corner where they're injecting a rabbit that then goes on to be the liquor, definitely. (laughs) But she sees all this stuff sort of laying out in front of her in what you might call a desperate attempt to tie everything together. And then you find out that Spence has also seen things with his eyes and his ears. Uh, yeah, this this starts to get extremely dense for me, actually. Um, so Spence has a flashback that is by turns sexy and expositional at this point. Yeah, uh, we, he gets incredibly turned on by use of the directional mic, which, as we know, is the sexiest bit of sound equipment <laughs> that he can have. And then it immediately segues to him blasting the hell out of me like <laughs> 
<laughs> yeah, there's like I'm trying to think of the best way to put this, but there is a suggestion that he spies on her, then Seduces shags her it. unconscious, and then goes and commits a bad crime. Yeah, a very bad, a very bad crime that results in, I guess we can say, conservatively five hundred deaths by this point. Uh, yeah, well, yeah, because by this point. we do find out that he is the person who uh, lobbed the contaminant at the start. Uh, That's right. Yeah, yeah, we do see. It, there's a moment at the start that is repeated. Yeah. Um, but with mu- with much broader focus on Spence. So at this point, we realise that Alice and Spence are driving towards the same goal, but for very different and kind of uh, very differently motivated yeah. reasons. Ultimately, both are moving towards this with the intention of bringing down Umbrella. Although ultimately, both are trying to sell something. Yeah, but crucially, Alice's information is far less damaging, uh, perhaps on a global scale, than stealing the T virus itself. Yeah, and attempting to sell it on to the highest bidder. Yeah, okay. we understand here basically. Um, Thank you for that, like lesson in morality, Andy. I appreciate it. You're welcome. <laughs> I, I think the, the bullet points of this is that Alice is an information salesperson, and uh, Spence is a virus salesperson. Actually, when you put it in those terms, it's so clear. <laughs> But yeah, um, so they're, they're both trying to bring down Umbrella, both for, both for reasons that I think are at best shaky ethically and uh, are out-and-out reprehensible at worst. <laughs> um, so yeah, I've got no particular strong feelings of affection for either of these two characters at this point. But no sooner does this revelation about Spence come around, then what we find is that he is swiftly bitten by a zombie. Yep. Um, and makes his way to where he knows the, va- the, the cure to be, which is in the train from the start. Yep. If they'd stayed in the train, possibly none of this would have happened. Yeah, a fair bit less of it would have definitely That's happened. That's true, but they didn't know that the T-virus had been taken. I think there's probably quite a lot of this movie that would be improved by not having the scene at the start where it's obvious that the T-virus has been taken. Because you would maybe, like, the confusion would maybe make more sense where you're not, like, six, seven steps ahead of all the characters. Mm-hmm. So you're not coming to this point in the movie and going, by the way, uh-huh. he took it, and you're like, well, yeah, but we knew somebody took it, so it's not really that important. Yeah, and, it's and not then very they go, real. "Oh, it's on the train," and you're like, oh, "For Christ's sake!" Like, even like, I really like it, I do, but that kind of got me as well. I was like, "It's on the train." Mm. Of course, it is. Uh, this is this all kind of comes to a head in this uh, kind of protracted and confusing standoff that three or four characters have uh, in a kind of underground basement bar that is about three feet submerged in water. There's so much of this film that is three feet submerged in yeah. water. Um, and and this, there's not a lot of dignity in that desperate dash for a pistol. No, when you're kind of wading through water that's yeah. like up to your knees or up to your kind of torso. Yeah, um, yeah, I uh, really just I absolutely cannot fucking abide this part of this. I uh, I find it to be incredibly heavy going. And yeah, at this point, I kind of just wanted to know who died, who lived, and uh, and just kind of like how it was going to resolve itself. I felt like this part took uh, forever, but I did enjoy that a creepy risk-averse child appears at this point and says, I'll give you the code to get out, but kill that fucking woman that's been bitten like seven times. <laughs> Yes. And she's all for it. Uh, uh, uh-huh. yeah, yeah, she's down for it. Um, as it turns out, the uh, the apparently not dead Kaplan disables uh, the Red Queen um, to let them out. Well, you're missing something crucial. James Purifoy, he runs off. He knows where the cure is, right? He's been bitten. Yep. He goes, gets the cure. He's about to inject himself with it. We know the, uh, liquor, the liquor. The liquor yeah. I like the fact that we've just accepted this is canon. We have no way. Just <laughs> dangle a cat. <laughs> just lure it away with a cat. Yeah. Just throw some lettuce away. <laughs> Uh, but uh, no, he he is off. Yes, yeah. 
perhaps the most graphic aftermath in the film. I suppose, yeah. Because he's he's in a bit of a nick when when they find when him. They find him. Yeah, yeah, yeah. He yeah he's killed. And like I say, Kaplan uh, disables the Red Queen, calls her a bitch in the process. Again, totally unnecessary. She's just trying to help. Uh, the computer doesn't care. What? You're calling it a bitch either. The computer's not offended. That's very true. But but like also, I just like it's totally unfounded. Like, you're like again, just like making practical suggestions. It's like yes, I will let you out and I'll help you escape, but kill that person who's gonna. Like, you know, if not properly contained, will cause harm to you and other people. Yeah. Like, just makes perfect sense. But yeah, um, I, also at this point, uh, we say that Spence is dead. He does return briefly when they're making their getaway. A reanimated Spence is dispatched by Alice. I hate it when this happens to see when it's like, oh, they're dead. Wait, no, they're nay. Um, and Alice just kills him. And it's just for the sake of a jump scare. The whole thing transpires in about eight but seconds. But no jump scare because it's so telegraphed. Uh, well, yes, also that. And it also provides the film with its 49th consecutive off-camera death. And at this point, I was like, what an incredibly unsatisfying moment in literally every conceivable way. You knew it was going to happen. It happens. He screams at her for a bit. Then she kills him again. He dies off-camera. And yeah, you haven't you haven't been scared. He's just arrived and is gone again. It's uh, completely... I think it's possibly kind of like, I don't know. I groaned out loud when that happened. Because at this point, I kind of felt like I'd been wading through so much unnecessary drivel for the last 10 minutes. I was just willing it to fucking get on with it. Time's ticking away. They have taken the the, the soon-to-be-zombified uh, Michelle Rodriguez with them, defying the Red Queen. Perfectly sage advice on the Red Queen, yeah. <laughs> uh, and they have boarded the train, pursued at speed by the liquor. Yep, Who yep. is now mutated to outrageous proportions. <laughs> yep. Yep, agreed. And um, and much like the video games, a massive boss battle takes place on the train. Um, and of course, Chekhov's pipes are present. Chekhov's pipes. Mm-hmm. Or Schrodinger's pipes, should I say. Close your eyes, where are the pipes? Are they still there? <laughs> uh, yeah, but Matt does dispatch the liquor. He does. Yeah. Uh, After with... getting scratched. He gets yes. scratched, crucially, yeah. Fairly um, nasty one. The liquor bursts into flames. Yes, inexplicably. No like I've I've never been able to quite parse that one because I can only imagine it's friction. I, it could be, but like I I remember like Kaplan driving the train at this point, and I can't remember. I think Kaplan gets like buys it at this point. I think he gets dragged out by the liquor. But the fact that like Kaplan's going, I'm going like kind of I'm giving her all she's got, Captain kind of thing, <laughs> doesn't like give me enough information to see a heinous monster from beyond the grave dragged along by a freight train and then catch fire i just need more context i'd sooner have had it just pulped yeah because i think that also the fact that it's so combustible with so little provocation makes it look like a really silly enemy because it's just like whatever that was like kind of just vanishes like that but because of like magician's flash yeah but like just but by uh, by what appears to be sheer fucking happenstance It's like, oh, if only we brought a can of deodorant and a lighter with us, this could all have gone so much quicker. Yep, uh, uh, they give Michelle Rodriguez the cure, by the way. It's a complete pointless endeavour because... That is true. They give her the cure and then moments later she's a zombie. Yep, in classic Michelle Rodriguez style, she's still trying to fight somebody rather than bite them. She's a pain in the ass. But that's that's what kills the liquor in the end because obviously Matt shoots her in the head and she falls back onto the button to open the hatch. You know, the hatch in the bottom of the train that all trains have. Yeah, sure. Yeah. So ultimately, Matt and Alice escape. Uh, they're the only escapees, Good for uh, them. I believe. Yeah, yeah. Uh, the, 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 the number has been whittled down to two. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And then there were two. They get to the surface, and uh, at this point, uh, they're kind of both dragged away by... Uh, God? Well, judging by the ethereal glow of the light. When the, when the, but yeah, a bunch of people in white biohazard suits bathed in a, yeah, like a very ethereal white glow. At this point, she wakes up uh, strapped to a hospital bed. 
Yeah. And just immediately rips off all of her kind of... Uh, I tell you what, I, it looks painful when she's pulling those does. kind of probes and kind of like like things that are like attached to her scalp. And all yeah, that. it's yeah, it's 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 quite an effective moment actually in that way because it does kind of make you squirm a little bit. Yeah, I actually think the last kind of this this last moment in the the hospital and then everything beyond that is the most effective thing in the film. Okay, and it's the most to me the most exciting thing as a fan of the franchise or the video game franchise, and it promises something that the franchise the film franchise never ever delivers mm-hmm. okay. well when when she like heads outside with a shotgun into this kind of raccoony dystopia yeah and um yeah the camera pulls away from her and you've kind of got this kind of like it looks like it's setting up for a sequel where she's going to be like navigating a zombie wasteland well she is yeah and she does in the in the sequels but uh the sequels get progressively more and more ludicrous they're in post-apocalyptic deserts and all, all manner of Bullshit. Right, I see. But I, I mean, as bad as this film is, I don't think, and I, I do think this is a bad film. I don't, I don't like this film. Mm-hmm. I'm just going to say it. Okay. I don't think that any of the other Resident Evil sequels are better than this. Mitch, what do you think of this film? I, I don't know. By yeah, way, that's the end of Resident yeah. Evil. And at this point, where yeah, she, she, she kind of gets out there, um, shotgun in hand, escapes from the hospital. We see that the uh, kind of above ground is like sheer kind of devastation. By the way, it's important to mention, uh, although we don't know at this point, but we will very quickly learn at the start of the next film that she is now a genetically augmented super soldier. All right, okay. Oh, good. Okay. Yeah, Matt's been taken away to like mutate into a sequel. Yeah, he so. becomes the nemesis, <laughs> I believe, in the next film. Or... Uh, yeah, I think so. Yeah. It's been a good while since I've seen that. But yeah, with, at this point we're out. So, uh, Andy, concluding comments. Uh, I didn't like this film to start with. I am not a massive fan of the films of Paul W.S. Anderson at all. I generally think he's quite a hacky. Okay. With the exception of Event Horizon. Right. In my opinion, I know, Michael, you said you, you, you didn't necessarily agree you weren't a fan of Event Horizon either. But when you look at the films he's made, Mortal Kombat, this, the multitude of sequels that followed after this, did he make them all? Uh, yeah, I believe he yeah, did. He did yeah, yeah, I believe he did. Imagine it just and directed. Really? He did the really terrible, I think, The Three Musketeers yep, as well fairly recently, which also had Mila Jovovich in it, who is his wife. Right. Off the back of this movie, if you can believe it. I mean, I... I well, I, I mean, probably think... something to do with his personality as well, I would imagine, but... <laughs> to be honest, I don't think it's done her career any favours. Uh, possibly not, but... Like, I generally don't like Paul W.S. Anderson's films either, and I didn't particularly enjoy Event Horizon. But I quite like. I really liked this when I was a teenager. It really did something for me, mm-hmm. and it's not something that any of his subsequent movies that I've seen has done. Right, right. So I don't want to come on and pretend that I'm a Paul W. S. Anderson fanboy because I'd like to be able to talk to people in pubs and not feel ashamed. Yeah. <laughs> I would say, by the way, I'd sooner watch Mortal Kombat than this again. I wasn't evil again. I think I saw Mortal Kombat when I was very, very young, like way younger than I should have been. Right. Uh, for watching it, I think because I was mad into the games when I was little. Right. Um, and I think well, you probably saw more graphic violence in the game. Sure. Yeah, but um, but yeah, with this one, I don't know. Um, going in with no particular attachment to the video games, and uh, yeah, kind of like this being something on paper that is just like I kind of the kind of thing that would send me screaming for the door. Very little happened in the intervening hour and 40 that kind of changed that. With the exception of a couple of set pieces that I quite enjoy, I find this to be almost impossibly hard work. Yeah, you were maddened from the outset, and it didn't really let up. It's the first. It's actually legitimately the first time I've seen you like this at anything we've done. Yeah, I think that's fair. I mean, like, and although, I mean, it is arguable that it 
it's better to have something get that reaction out of you than you know when somebody's picked something that you don't care about it at all. yeah when i'm kind of sitting with like my kind of like standard six or seven pages of notes with just being like you know god like it's like i've written all this down but what is there to talk about and it's like and so i think that yeah there's something to be said for getting that reaction out of me because so few films do yeah yeah that's my that. work here is done. <laughs> yeah let's put a cloud over the sunshine kid's head for sure <laughs> i don't know I, I, I've, I've laughed a lot i feel better now cool so would you watch resident evil again no no i've seen it done it. i wouldn't say so I, i've been there i've seen it um i have had fun discussing it sure but yeah but i, w- I would say in terms of um rewatch value i would say it's not there for me okay i am um, You'll watch it you again. Know, it's weird. It's weird. <laughs> I, I know I'm going to wind up watching this film again, and I actively get annoyed by it. I it actively happen. get annoyed by it. I've played every video game, including the shitty first-person shooter ones. Aye, okay, yeah, yeah. Um, and I will continue to play every Resident Evil game that comes out, good or bad, and every weird remake that they keep putting in. Mm-hmm. But yeah, I just, I just can't with the films. I can't. It's a shame, though. It's like, like, especially that obviously, like you say, I mean, like it is all downhill from here for the franchise as well. I'm told. It's just it just like, gets it just gets bonkers and mm. although other characters from the video games start popping up, Claire Redfield, Chris Redfield, Joe Valentine, ultimately it doesn't matter because they don't really bear any semblance to the video games mm. at all, okay. really, and they get more and more bonkers and he just gets more and more. I think as a director, just gets more and more up his own ass and right. more and more reliant on slow motion and it's just tiring. And Mila Jovovich is an incredibly attractive woman. But there's only so much I can watch her doing slow motion martial arts in the rain. That's fair. So thanks for this, Michael. It was no, I I I think in a way it was a good in a way it was a good selection. I didn't like the film, but I think that in terms of just having something that was an absolute can of worms in terms of stuff to talk about, I would say you could have done a lot worse. Well, I, I I guess I'm glad about that. I mean, I've bought it on Amazon now, so I'm definitely going to rewatch it. Oh yeah, you're gonna have to uh, yeah. several times. I mean, that's the second time that I bought it, Michael. Yes. Let's talk a little bit about uh, your podcast. Okay, sure. uh, Scotland, the Scottish History Podcast. So that has been running for quite a while now. Uh, yes, coming up in a year. Mm-hmm. Um, should I put on a different voice for this? We can I do. You can slip back into the down. comfort in Scotland voice. Take if you it want. down. Or not. To be honest, it's very hard to do unless you're reading. So I'll yeah. just keep my normal speaking voice. But you want to talk, like you want to talk a little bit about it, like uh, just kind of how it came together and all that kind of thing. Um, yeah, sure. I mean, like for anybody that hasn't heard it, I know that. A lot of strong language and violent scenes listeners are kind enough to give me a bit of their time every month or so um, as well, which is very kind. Um, It's 20 minutes of a kind of random story that I pick from Scottish history and try and tell a sort of more personal story about it. Um, And it's not necessarily the deepest dive into history you can get. We take like the maximum length. I think the longest episode we've done was about 22 minutes. Mm -hmm. Um, It is worth saying that I say we because Mitch scores every episode. And I mean, like he literally sits in a room with me for several hours and gets more progressively frustrated while I say it could be a bit faster. I don't know. Does faster make sense? Yeah. Like, could it be a bit lower? Yeah. Could it be a bit like, I don't know, sadder? (laughs) (laughs) Like so, Mitch is very good, um, and I like. Occasionally, I myself will get a little message and on my phone saying, "Andy, can I trouble you to read?" Can uh, Andy? Can we borrow your dulcet tones? Yep, Um, we need need the voice of a madman. (laughs) (laughs) Yes, actually, that is that is a message that I sent you, isn't it? The the, Um, the, the unused takes of you voicing a madman are my favorite thing. uh Yeah, one day we're going to do something with them, but not not immediately. Supercut, please. Uh, Yes, a supercut of Andy's. Andy's brilliant. Andy sends me several uh, different takes of voices. 
for episodes, which is absolutely fantastic. I'd like to give but, you stuff to work with, Mike. Yeah, I appreciate it. But yes, yeah, so it's 20 minutes-ish of a story about Scotland. So we try and tell either like one big story or sort of two or three ones on a thematically similar thing. Mm-hmm. Try and make them entertaining, try and make them immersive, try and put you where you are. Um, it's, yeah, it's going really well. Like it's coming up in a year, it'll be November. Uh, it'll be a year that we've done it. Mm-hmm. And there's a new episode coming out this week. There sure um, is. It will probably already be out by the time you hear this, and it's called the Darien Scheme, and it's about the Darien Scheme, That's which t- was a scheme to settle in Darien. Yep. I actually, I mean, aside from any involvement I have in the show, I, I really, I really love the show. I find it incredibly relaxing to listen to and incredibly informative. Uh, I know you're not doing it now, but your actual podcast voice is. Uh, Incredibly soothing. Yeah, it's very soothing. Yeah, I um, I did wonder whether I should try and speak with a sort of more measured tone when I was doing this because I don't no want point. I don't want to shatter the illusion that anybody might have of me. But I do actually sound like this ninety percent of the time. <laughs> yeah, we would steamroller right over you if you were trying that shit. I was gonna say, yeah, <laughs> yeah. Uh, so yeah, it's and it's available pretty much everywhere, right? Yep, um, pretty much every podcast provider you can get. Um, um, you can find it on thisisscotland.co. Or if you go onto our Twitter, uh, which is twitter.com forward slash media, Don't know why I did it like that, like it's 2009, but whatever. <laughs> um, you can find a link that takes you to your sort of podcast app of choice and lets you select that to listen to it on. So yep. do that. It's great. And it really, is, it really is worth a listen, I would say. I mean, you don't have to be Scottish to like it. No, I would say that's true. I would, I would hope that's true. <laughs> yeah, in fact, no, like, uh, yeah, like you say, Michael. Um, obviously, like, um, a few of our listeners are have mentioned that they listen to it as well. So, like, it didn't feel like too much of a leap to bring you on. Um, they're no, aware. I, I they're aware of you because I've like, I've wanted to come on for a while. Like, you know, long time listener, first time caller. Yeah, yeah, yeah sure. sure, sure. Yeah. Um, so it's it's been a, a genuine pleasure to be here. Ah, thank Aww, you very much. Well, Even though you both you. hate the film. We do hate the film, but we crucially but we, we love, love you. you. Yeah, we love you, and uh, thank you so much for doing our AV our live shows as well. And there may be more on that coming up very soon. Coming yeah. up fairly soon. Michael, thanks so much for doing this. Thank you so much, man. This has been awesome. Thank you. So yeah, that probably is the maddest I've ever gotten about a film. Oh my god, show. you were incandescent with rage at different times during both the chat and the and the viewing. There was a moment that you, you leaned forward to try and figure it out, then leaned back in exasperation, and then moments later remembered that you didn't know what the fuck was going on, so you leaned forward again. And that continued variously uh, for about half an hour. Yep. Mm-hmm. I think that, like, um, as a good time, got to, the time we got to, like, the third act, I think that it was kind of like a quiet resignation thing going on. Yeah. Where I was going to, like, yeah, you know, it's like, it's like, just, I'm just going to write this out. And I was never convinced for a moment that you had the foggiest idea of what was happening. Well, I did. I did. I asked a lot of questions. <laughs> In fairness. But a big thank you to Michael Park. Yes, thank you, Michael. That was an absolute pleasure. Yes, it was. And uh, yeah, go check out Scotland, the Scottish History Podcast. Go get on that. It's everywhere. And I'm not just saying this because I score it. I feel slightly weirder about plugging uh, the guest stuff this time because I'm involved in it. But it is good. It is. No, no, no. That, that's <laughs> I don't mind telling I mean, you. I will say, because my involvement is very, very minimal, mm-hmm. um, I, I will say, go listen to it. Cool. How about that? On the subject of things that you should listen to, we are back on Monday with Minisode 70. Lovely segue. Thanks. We'll be doing all the usual stuff. We will be taking a look at what we've been watching. We'll be charting my progress or otherwise through the Sharkwaves 100. I think there'll be some. Yeah, I'm feeling quite energised about it right now because um, we're getting so close to the finish line. And also, I know that I've got you for a little bit longer on Saturday, so I think I'm going to force something upon you. Oh. A film. 
<laughs> Thanks for clearing up. Not my sex jacket. Is it finally? Is it finally going to be uh, Cannibal Holocaust? That was my plan for sure. Oh my. Okay. Well, yeah, we could do that. We could steal do that. yourself. Uh, we will, of course, also be taking a look at your feedback and playing another round of Mitch's pitches and letting you know everything that you need to know about episode seventy-one. Yes. If you want to get in touch in the meantime, loads of ways you can do that. Facebook and Instagram, we're Strong Language Violent Scenes. You can tweet us as well at Strong Violent PC, and you can email Longer Considerations, uh, Musical Interludes, Mitch's Pitches Suggestions, Listener Choice Episode Suggestions, and all other kind of longer things, things that you need more than 280 characters to talk about, to Strong Language Violent Scenes at gmail.com. Wow. Thanks. Yeah. And. Why not go along and check out strongviolentpod.com? Yeah, there's loads of good stuff on there, including a list of providers. That means that Andy doesn't have to do the whole thing. But what I'm going to say is Podbean are pretty good. Yep, definitely the most consistent so far. And also, of course, our hosts. And fair play to them. They do great work. They do indeed. And also to be found on strongviolentpod.com as live show dates. And, of course, uh, links to our tea Public, where you can get a bunch of ludicrous t-shirt designs that I have cobbled together, largely to annoy Mitch. <laughs> yeah, you can get a bunch of t-shirt designs, none of which are just the logo of the podcast. <laughs> no, that is true, and none of which have been authorised by Mitch. <laughs> <laughs> it's just trying to get final cut on anything. Like, I, I, never, I never know that anything exists until it goes on sale. <laughs> Like, oh, by the way, I put out some t-shirts about having your nuts eaten off by a monkey. <laughs> and I'm like, okay, fine. You're like, oh. Okay. It's like, you know, when you did the Mitch's Bitches one, it's like, oh, it's there. And I was like, oh, I was like oh, I'm not sure about this. It's like, it's on sale. And we sold five of them. I was like, oh, well. <laughs> We've sold way more than five of those t-shirts. Uh, yeah, weirdly we have. Yeah. We are back on Monday. Join us then if you can. In the meantime, don't forget that it is better to die a hero than live as food in a world of chuds. Goodbye. Bye. Bye. Who let you back in? You're still here. He's been here the whole time. <laughs> Goodbye. You've been listening to Strong Language and Violent Scenes with Andy Stewart and Mitch Bain. Strong Language and Violent Scenes theme by Mitch Bain. Production and artwork by Andy Stewart. Find us on Stitcher, iTunes, Spotify, Google Podcasts and Podbean.